Bonjour. <laughs> I don't know what French for and we're back is, but uh, lay and we're back. And welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. We told you we would be back this weekend to wrap up everything going on in Viva la France. And that's what we'll be doing as the Cannes Film Festival just had their award show, Michael. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to some movie reviews, Little Mermaid. And you have... You have a bunch of films that you're not telling me, you know what they are, and you're just going to Two of them are from this year. Okay, <laughs> but I can't wait. Year. You're yeah. like, wait, do you hear this list of films that I reviewed? Madman uh, losing his grip on reality. And I'm going to talk about all the like the last nine films that were released because I'm that much of a lo- lunatic that I have to see all the new stuff right when it comes out because I'm you're nuts. doing it the smart way. You're taking you're taking advantage of the AMC A list, and I like we are literally on two ends of the spectrum because <laughs> I could not be more inefficient in my 2023 movie watching this year. I'm getting to them, mm-hmm. but I'm paying twenty dollars a pop when they come on VOT oh. for rental. All right, so but that colors our perspectives. That's yeah. important, like because people yeah. are making the same decisions out there. That's why we refuse. All of the free screenings, correct? Right? That's is that why? Oh, yeah. Is that that why? no, that's why. Yes, that's why. That's why. <laughs> yes, we don't live the screening life anymore. That we don't want to talk to other people and reach out to strangers <laughs> and whatever. Yeah, all those reasons, and that is why we stay home and we don't go to France. We're the south no, of South I, of France. I couldn't I, listen. There's never a world in which, unless they paid for it and get like specifically for us to time the standing ovations. I don't think you'll ever find me in Cannes. No, that's not your that's not your bag, baby. Yeah. But no. uh, I might go someday. I, I think yeah. I would go. I could see you going. I could yeah. see you going and enjoying it. Yeah. I, I basically go to Cannes every year. Right. It's just six months late, and I go to the new, when I go to the New York Film Festival. Right. You know, it's the right. same movies that go to to NYFF. And, and to I'm be fair, to this seems like a more. I mean, look, we've had our issues with Cannes in the past, but this seems like a more universally highly rated. Can yeah entry? I think I think so. A lot of people have been very high on it. I uh, love the IndieWire's coverage. Next Best Pictures. A lot of a lot of people getting out there and, and and singing the praises of these films. So that's exciting. And we got a Palme d'Or winner that might have you know some momentum here in Anatomy of a Fall. This is just take theme. your bow, take your bow, Michael. Justine you called Trier. this. I did call it, and I'm a little surprised that I got it right. I'm almost like did my prediction powers come back or maybe is, you influence the jury i might I, you know what that's probably more yeah. likely <laughs> because i'm coming off uh, a, a bad uh set of predictions from uh, the oscars mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, i needed to get off the schneid right. as they say and uh, i am i am now you spoke truth to power and brie larson heard it and just ran with it 
Justine Trier, she's 44 years old. She's the director of 2019's Sybil, 2016's In Bed with Victoria, Age of Panic, Two Ships. Uh, this is a French film, as we both learned seconds ago before <laughs> recording. Yes, uh, yes. 88 Metascore, 100% on 24 reviews. A woman is suspected of her husband's murder, and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the sole witness and essentially you have like the crime scene photo is the one still we have of this yeah movie. yeah it's a it's a harrowing one too against like the white snow backdrop and that that maroon dark maroon pool of blood that had gathered around the uh i guess the head of the wife or the mother who are uh, that that character that faced their demise there uh look not knowing anything about these films other than the reviewing the reviewing segment we did last episode and reading the premises like we have i it certainly sounds like this jury at Cannes went with the two most alluring premises for their first and second prize. Right. That's how we read it. That's how we predicted it. That's how it happened. And these movies are, are beloved. I mean, 88 Metascore is, is, no, is no slouch, even though the Zone of Interest had a 98 Metascore. But we have, uh, we have two films that star the same actress and when she didn't show up in the lead actress category i was like all right those two films are now in play for the bigger awards and i I figured that was going to happen i mean look at the last 10 years of this category i don't know what to make of these because it's always a separate group of you know jury members that that individualized group yeah yeah so how, how do you how do you, you know, do a cross section of the Palme d'Ors and do an Oscar crossover stat? I mean, that doesn't really make sense. But Triangle of Sadness, Parasite, Shoplifters, The Square, Amour, over the last 10 years, those are five Oscar nominees, if not winners there. So how, how do you look at this for Anatomy of a Fall? You think, uh, you think uh, Anatomy of a Fall with the premise sounding like the staircase and the tony collette uh, hbo max series back back when it, back when it was oh my god hbo max i'm frantic here <laughs> what do you make of something like this can it gain momentum do you look at it uh as it's, as a contender it's at the, the place at the studio it needs to be to do so right i mean this is neon's fourth in a row winning the palm and if anybody knows how to market the hell out of any kind of movie no matter what the size of it it's been neon's proven to do so since 2019 so mm-hmm. i think that's got a, a, a huge feather in its cap and if it's the type of movie that is alluring to neon for them to purchase it and put their weight behind it that also speaks volumes about the type of uh, film it is in and of itself so yeah i i don't see how you wouldn't say this is probably a contender right now, at least an international film, if not beyond. And we've seen recently, too, like, uh, let not, let's not go without mentioning this like we always do. If you're a contender in international film in the last few years, last half decade or so at the Oscars, that means you're a contender in probably at least one other category. At least, especially with how the director's branch has been voting mm-hmm. and, and certainly screenplay cinematography yeah, and, and it's obviously a performance play so Sandra Huller's probably got to be in a lot of people's fives coming out of this week I would say I would think I mean that makes a, that makes the most sense to me and you know going off our buddy Neglia and other people that were there it seemed like this was a tight race and the fact that Jonathan Glazer showed up and you only show up on the on the awards day of Cannes if you know you're going to win one of the big prizes and so it was like well is it going to be is it a tight race between Anatomy of a Fall or Zone of Interest I mean we could have two international feature spots spoken for already it's quite possible and I do believe 
The Zone of Interest has gotten some intriguing reviews as well lately. Since our episode recording, I've been listening to some podcasts about it, and it seems like they never go inside the camp. You can hear it from the outside, but we are stuck in the house next to the camp. And it huh. is it is one of those, you know, mind, you know, screws to put right. it nicely. And it's it's going to be a very odd, oblique way to handle such such a su- such sub- subject matter, Mike. I, I, I'm absolutely terrified of watching this movie going into Cannes and coming out of it based on the reviews. I'm, I'm intrigued. I can't help myself. And yet it's the international feature category again that like these sound like movies that don't have much. I mean, maybe they do. We, again, we don't know too much about them, but they don't sound as if they have hopeful endings and big bright line endings and light at the end of the tunnel type endings, which is the type of narrative you need to succeed in, say, like the documentary feature category at the Oscars, yeah. at least recently. Uh, the international feature category tends to go sometimes the other way, and it's more okay to be more bleak and, and, and you know, uh, chastise the current state of the world, if you will. I will say that the zone of interest is a United Kingdom Polish production. Does that does that mean Poland will tab it as its national film uh, or does that mean the United Kingdom can tab it as their international film because it's going to be in German most of it I'm guessing well I mean that's that's an interesting question and it's you know there's no small matters when it comes to even that like the country selecting them as their official selection for the international feature category you need to look no further back than last year's Oscars look at RRR look at how I mean that I, I, for the billionth time the way India treated that movie and that it wasn't its official selection probably cheated RRR out of at least one other Oscar. Yeah, I think uh, I think the international feature category is long overdue for an overhaul on how they handle these because Triangle of Sadness couldn't fit in, in one of There's too much access, isn't there, Mike? Like, shouldn't the Academy just do it now? Because everybody's seeing these movies. What do you mean, just it's not, do it? Just, just overhaul like, those? Like, shouldn't it, instead of having relying on the countries to say, this is our official selection, shouldn't you have, like, a brain trust within the international feature branch of the Academy? Oh, just have, movies? like, representatives? Oh, we're getting well, like, there. They, I, I they don't know. see all these movies, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like it's, a, it's hard for anyone in the <laughs> Academy to get their hands on these movies these days. You're right in that respect. However, when do all of the Academy members see these international features do they do they see them right up to the edge typically like the you know the movie going audience at large sees sees international features late and then that's right. always been typical and that's i mean if anything a lot of these get a boost and they get their legs or they get their long tail after the oscars in many a case so i wonder when they're seeing like last year i mean we we saw all Quiet on the Western Front be a late breaker despite right. coming out in October just because people weren't watching it until, you know, the start of the new year. I I wonder if you have enough movie-watching power in the Academy from the pockets of, you know, uh, National Selection Committee possible members, whatever. I don't know how to describe it, but let's say there's 20 German members of our Academy. Can you get three of them to watch all the German selections, because that's the problem. They're not just picking, you know, just just watching 80 movies. They're, they have to watch all of the national selections. That's, uh, I don't I don't know how you get that bracket to play out that, you know, that. Uh, it probably would be more reliant on the prestige film, the international film festivals as right. a precursor. But I, I, I mean, 
Yes, as unfair as that would be to like lesser known international films, that would also probably cause more headlines and more drama for the headlining films. I wonder make the, make the Oscars more of a year round thing for that category. I wonder if you can have like a consultant. Can you just tab a consultant to each country? You know, or just one consult. Make Brie Larson the international film body. She's already here. Let's not let her escape France. Michelle Yeoh, Brie Larson. <laughs> they could be consult, and they could say, "Hey, this one will probably win because I would vote for it as an you know Academy member." I don't know. I I don't know how you handle that because Ruben Oslin. What's him and his beautiful head of hair? Yeah, but doing? He, he, Ruben Oslin's not watching all of his country's submissions to get to get it down to one, and then he's got to watch all the other movies of that year. To vote on the no, Oscars. I get what you're saying, but I mean, the easy counterpoint is like, well, is that happening anyway? Do you actually believe? Well, the countries are doing that, but yeah, they're supposed to do that. You know, yeah, right. They're supposed. To, I agree. Just like the Academy is supposed to watch everything before they vote. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's you know, it's a cynical, it's a cynical outlook, but that's that's what I would say. But yeah, you know, you're right. There's no, I don't know that there is an easy answer. I just think that because there's more like. Films have never been more accessible to Academy members than they are currently. I don't know that we need to rely on, like, why leave it up to India to screw it up as badly as they did? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, w- I wish uh, they would just leave it up to me. I'll do it. There you uh, go. I'll do you it should. for a lot of money. Not a little money. A lot of money. All right. A significant sum. <laughs> so the Zone of Interest won the Grand Prix. That's the runner-up. Jonathan Glazer. Uh, Sandra Huller again. Uh, the jury prize that went to Fallen Leaves, and we'll slow down our presentation a little bit to review the reviewers for films that we haven't touched on yet. Fallen Leaves is one of those, Michael, and uh, great reviews here. Two lonely people who meet each other by chance in the Helsinki night and try to find the first love of their lives. It's got a 100% very, very early on just 17 reviews thus far. 79 Metascore. Dave Calhoun of the Timeout says it's a low-key treat with moments of real bliss. An unexpected crowd pleaser from a minimalist master. That's Peter Howell of, of the Toronto Star. It's a nice but exceedingly minor movie. So not everybody <laughs> joins the party, especially when that everybody that? is Owen Gleiberman of Variety. Yeah. Uh, so this is... Uh, <laughs> is Owen Gleiberman just me if I was dragged out to France for this film festival? <laughs> Owen Gleiberman has the same <laughs> shit list that you have. Most... Everybody is on it. You're right. Like I, and I want to dislike him because he does come <laughs> off as overly negative, but I just can't. <laughs> He's your spirit animal. There's you. There's For an real. O, there's an <laughs> Owen, Owen Gleiberman penguin in an igloo in the movie Fight Club. That's what's happening there. Uh, we'll move on to the Best Director Award, which went to An Hung Tran of The Pot on Fire, 83 Metascore, starring Juliette Binoche. She is Eugenie, an esteemed cook. Uh, this is the story of fine gourmet cuisine and the establishment where she's been working for the last 20 years. I didn't see any scores yet. I think this premiered either last night or this morning, other than that 83 Metascore, that is. And uh, I'm glad to see it, though. Uh, the pot à fou. This is what we were you know, talking about a couple days ago, Michael. Supposed to be a big foodie movie, so should speak right to your heart. You know it's a big foodie movie that I haven't watched yet that was very that? popular on Netflix, Hunger, and I just haven't, turn- I just haven't hit play on it yet. I need to. Hmm. Who's in that? 
Why am it's I not? South Korean not movie. South Korean movie. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know the actors, uh, but I, I'm into it, and it was it was very high on the Netflix top tens. Got good reviews and everything. I'm gonna have to click play on that. Michael, who won Best Actor? That went to uh, Koji Yakusho for Perfect Days, which also has an early 100% on 13 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, 77 Metascore. A janitor in Japan drives between jobs listening to rock music. I will again say, we've previewed this once, <laughs> in the running for best premise of 2023 thus far. <laughs> ben Vendors of Paris, Texas, former Palm winner there. He's in his 80s, I believe, and he's still uh-huh. directing movies. And I guess... I guess this is co- this is cool, right? This is this is the type. I, who of movie, knows? This could be anything. <laughs> this is the type of premise that you want to see succeed. Uh, anyway, I, if you're gonna go low key, anyway, this is Locke without the inner monologue. It's literally just a guy listening or to without, like WPLR. Yeah, any of the action, <laughs> right. car chases, throw all that stuff out. Just driving around, listening to music. All right, you're motoring. <laughs> Bill Giabiri of New York Magazine said, your cousin could have written this movie, but maybe only <laughs> vendors could have directed it. What? I this, mo- this doesn't exist. This is a prank people are playing on us. Because what does that review mean? <laughs> I love it. Uh, this is an ode to life's little pre- pleasures. Raphael Abraham of the Financial Times. And it's a quietly expressive character study of a lonely man gently coaxed outside of his self-inflicted exile. Nicholas Bell of Thank Ion you, Cinema. Nicholas Bell, for like giving us something. Like, <laughs> these reviews in this premise is like Derek Jeter, how he was famous for playing 20 years in New York and speaking to the media every day, but saying nothing. <laughs> it's saying nothing. So we, yeah. we, we, this could go either way. But Koji Yakusho is a, is a tremendous actor. 13 Assassins, Pulse, Shall We Dance, Memoirs of a Geisha. And, and he had an American stint of movies there for, for a hot minute. He's really, he's he's really great. So I'm I'm thrilled to see if you're going to base a movie on on one actor that it uh, it can be a showcase like this one. Uh, as well, we had the best actress winner go to Merv Dizdar for not about dry glasses, as we uh, mistakenly <laughs> entitled it last time. It's about dry grasses. Uh, Grass. is the correct title. Yeah, so R. That's, that's on us. Yeah, she's a 36 year old Turkish actress and. Look, uh, uh, I love this uh, review here from Sedant Adlaka of IndieWire. Among the most brilliantly off-putting works to be featured at Cannes in recent years. What the hell does that mean? I'm intrigued. I thought this was just a movie about a teacher. Yeah, you said this was about like a teacher. Finding leaving himself, like right? a village, but about Becoming dry a werewolf? grasses. Could be about a werewolf. It could, could be. be Finally, the movie that was promised to me <laughs> Long awaited by Clayton one. Davis. I'll, I'll, I'll shout out who told me that who are, or who I misread. Yeah. Who you had a fever dream about, I think. I misinterpreted Clayton Davis's. Took some lavender tea before, uh, before festival preview. sleep one night. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, I, I about dry glasses is not... What we said last time. What, what did we talk about? It. We talked about some guy who just fell in a river and yeah, he could. He saw. He was a witness to a murder, but he wasn't sure what he saw because his glasses were wet. Right. Which I. I mean, make that movie Hollywood. That one's free. You're welcome. 
we're giving out we're giving out free shit all the time. It's 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 getting to be a problem. Michael Monster won best screenplay. That's Yuji Sakamoto for the uh, Hirokazu Karita directed the film movie, there, yeah. or Kori Ada it might be. Excuse me for the pronunciations. We got to figure that out. Uh, it also start. won the Queer Palm Monster, so that's cool to see. And uh, it's important to mention that the Zone of Interest won the soundtrack award as well. I should have moved that up and put it with. Uh, the grand jury prize but the zone of interest supposedly you hear a lot of the sounds from the camp and it's nauseating so it's more like a score or an, a, you know, best sound award i think all right uh uncertain regard went to american pie but chicks how to have sex that's a total projection on me don't take my word for it but how to have sex is the name of the movie uh that won the uncertain regard section award uh we previewed that last episode director molly manning walker is behind that one movie bought the distribution rights uh, prior to can thrilled to see it in terms of the international critics week grand prix that went to tiger stripes a body horror film from amanda neil Yu with a 100 percent early rotten tomato score tiger hypes tiger stripes has this premise an 11 year old girl who is carefree until she starts to experience horrifying physical changes to her body yeah that that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> what about the 38-year-old American man <laughs> who's carefree until he starts to experience... Anyway. Who's still experiencing horrifying changes to his body? Let's say hey, universal premises. We are mm -hmm. all one. <laughs> the director's Fortnite <laughs> section went to Creatura, or Creatura, uh, won Best European Film Top Prize as well. Elena Martin co-wrote and directed it. It'll debut in theaters this September. Uh, it has a 90% early Rotten Tomato score on the premises. A sexual awakening causes a woman to reconsider her past relationships, the story of all of my ex-girlfriends. Yeah, that, that, this seems like a heavy premise, to be honest with you, yeah. uh, joking aside. So we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see Creatura. You said it early on, too, uh, before we recorded, but Ken had the... Uh was not shying away from the female slanted and the female female helmed films this year for the best films yeah i mean yeah. that's director's fortnight that's international critics week that's uncertain regard and then the main competition the top prizes went to female directed films as did the two winners for the golden eye award for best documentary clayton davis eat your heart out we have a tie four <laughs> daughters and the mother of all lies which I will start with here. That also won Best Director of Un Certain Regard for Asme El Mudir. Here is its premise. A Moroccan woman's search for truth tangles with a web of lies in her family history. As a daughter and filmmaker, she fuses personal and national history as she reflects on the 1981 bread riots, drawing out connections to modern Morocco. That's the mother of all lies. Interesting. And as for four daughters, you have an early 93% on the tomato meter for that. The premise reads as such, Tunisian Olfa is the mother of four daughters. One day, her two older daughters disappear to fill the void left. Film director Khatir Ben Hania invites professional actresses and brings the viewer closer to the life stories of Olfa and her daughters. The film mixes documentary and fiction. It sounds like both of them have like hints. Uh, I mean, four daughters more so. But it seems like it's directly a documentary, but uh, right. it sounds like Mother of All Lies mixes a little bit of documentary field with its fiction as well. Innovative premises there for these two documentaries, and I'm surprised they weren't covered more as documentary films that could contend for the palm like we saw with uh, Youth in parentheses Spring 
mm. from Bing Wong there. That was touted as as this contender. It wound up being like four hours, and and I don't think it got the rapturous reviews that it that it wanted. It didn't win this award either. So good on four daughters and the mother of all lies. So that's exciting. As for the final can awards section, we cannot. Uh, go past the palm dog which is shouldn't it be diog yeah it should be diog <laughs> however i'm so happy with this now michael because i've realized that this is an entire section of awards the palm dog did you know okay this? wait wait this is a real thing this isn't just a one-time thing that happened in 2023 because i saw it and i the figured palm it- dog is given out every year I did not know that. I thought it was just like a one-time silly thing because they had a movie featuring a dog this year. No, the, we have this year uh, Messi as Snoop in Monster winning the, the grand prize. Uh, then we have, well, excuse me, winning the, the Palm Dog. And then we have the Grand Prix, which I guess means prize, going to Alma and Fallen Leaves. We have a Mutt Moment Award that went to <laughs> La Chimera. And we have a highly commended canine award. <laughs> I want to give my dog a highly commended canine award uh, that went to Susie in Vincent Must Die. Finally, uh, the Palm Dog Manitarian Award. That goes to Isabella Rossellini, a great doggy mommy in her own right. Make wow. that the entire festival. <laughs> right? Isn't that beautiful? It's my favorite thing about Cannes. That's now. awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll finish with one more film that we wanted to cover because Elemental and all these other movies, I did not see see scores on them yet i did not see first reactions i wonder if that's delayed in terms of uh what what, what do they call that uh, uh the time limit when they're when they're allowed to embargo embargo thank you yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the embargo so we'll go about about reviewing the reviewers for the old oak michael yeah, we have uh, 67% on six reviews early. The future for the last remaining pub, the Old Oak, in a village of the Northeast England, where people are leaving the land as the mines are closed, houses are cheap and available, thus making it an ideal location for the Syrian refugees. This is written and directed by Ken Loach. Our boy Owen, back for variety. Mr. Gleibman says the Old Oak wants to melt our hearts, but for all of Loach's grounded toughness, it's the film that winds up going soft. And he also said, <laughs> if they're gonna die, then they better do it. And de- <laughs> Decrease the surplus population. Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> Scrooge and Samuel Jackson from Rules and Engagement. Good. <laughs> Owen Gleiberman's our favorite now, isn't he? Yes. That I've, he's... I've, I've, yes. Yes. <laughs> I hope that this isn't Loach's final film, but if it is, he has concluded with a ringing statement of faith and compassion for the oppressed. I want Peter Bradshaw of the guardian to to have a talking to mr Gleiberman, please <laughs> two, two sides of the same coin there for certain uh we can move on that'll wrap up can for 2023 obviously some stuff with oscars implications as we as can always has and we will yep. go on throughout the year here talking about and keep our eye on we can shift our focus and our gaze to two of the more uh big blockbustery type movies that hope to have oscars legs attached to them as well we had our first full trailer for Barbie uh, make its appearance this week, Michael. Barbie looks great, doesn't it? This trailer where we finally get the full story, I'm still not following like exactly what's going on, but it's very clear that it's basically, I mean, it's Toy Story, right? I mean, she's yeah, yeah, in yeah. this Barbie land, and then she has to go to the real world because she becomes a sentient being with a existential crisis and it's hilariously done in the fact that 
at the end of her party montage, she's like, do you ever think about dying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. They, there are some some moments of high comedy. You know what I couldn't help thinking? Hmm. So Margot Robbie's Barbie ends up going to the real world after this conversation with uh, Kate McKinnon, who's like this old thrown away, I guess, Barbie, who's been through some rough times and has seen some things. Hmm. <laughs> when you're offered that role and you're someone as gorgeous and funny and talented as Kate McKinnon, <laughs> like, what do you, what do you, do you, it's got to mess with your head somewhat, doesn't it? Be like, look, we cannot do this movie without you, but you're going to be the old, crusty, <laughs> uglied up, thrown, like, how do you, do you cons- act like you're considering it for a while? Do you just want to be part of a blockbuster that bad that you say yes? <laughs> I, I wonder how, what goes through Kate McKinnon's mind in that circumstance. I could not <laughs> stop thinking about that. Katie Rich of Little Gold Men tweeted out that she was given the same choice between high heels and Birkenstocks, and that's mm-hmm. why she went to Wesleyan. And I was laughing. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Kate McKinnon, that's that's quite the costume there. It's it's a funny role. So she's she's crushing it. The whole – I mean, it was nice of Quentin Tarantino to, like, guest us in a you know, DP this <laughs> – how many feet shots do we get? Ready, in one you need trailer? more feet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, flat feet. That was a funny little, uh, uh, you know, Barbie uh, joke there. And mm-hmm. still in Barbie land. We Her had uh, on the ground. I mean, yeah. we had Ken. Jesus, Ryan Gosling. The facial expressions he has when he pops up from the car to do the karaoke. He's going to get nominated for this, isn't he? And when he takes the mug shot. Dear God, those are funny. Those are hilarious. Uh, we have Will Ferrell going full Mugatu as the villain. So what is, like, so how meta are we getting with this? So there's an actual Barbie in the real world, and so Will Ferrell's the head of Mattel, who wants... Catastrophic. Who wants Barbie, he wants Barbie captured? Uh, he wants Barbie captured in the real world, because she can't you know realize what's out there i guess i don't know it, it, this is just demonizing the mattel corporation <laughs> i loved the uh the titles during this trailer right because if you love barbie this movie is for you if you hate barbie this movie is for you i, yeah. I thought that was great smart and uh make your own kind of music by mama cass i mean you got the barbie world musical outro that was kind of a, a little abrupt but otherwise very good I agree. I didn't. I I thought it was better without the uh, the aqua at the end. But I guess at some point in the marketing, you had to include it, right? So sure. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Uh, I, I, it's it's not exactly the story I thought we were getting at all. No. <laughs> Who could have thought? <laughs> I don't know. I guess. I mean, I you know Noah Baumbach, Greta Gerwig. What what story were they going to tell with this? Right. Who who? And this knew? couldn't have been what Amy Schumer signed up for originally before Marco Robbie was attached. I mean, Amy no Schumer idea. was going to be Barbie in Greta Gerwig's Barbie, I think, once upon a time. Didn't she make something kind of adjacent to that where she... No, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of another actress. Never mind. But uh, I have no idea. She's yeah. doing cooking shows now, Amy Schumer. And not hosting the Oscars, which I wish she would do again. I, yeah. I have fun with her. Anyway, The Color Purple is a film that we have given lofty expectations to after our 100% Accurate Predictions episode, Michael. And... I am kind of taken aback by this trailer because it is not the 1986 film no. storyline that I was familiar with, and I probably should have researched this a little bit more. Well, we know it was a musical, right? 
Yeah, I remember the devastating drama directed right, by same. Steven Spielberg, Whoopi same. Goldberg, and obviously Oprah Winfrey and uh, Danny Glover starring in it. And then we have this turned into a musical, and I wonder—I was wondering how the hell they were going to do that. But obviously, it's been a a twenty-year hit on Broadway, and now it makes much more sense that these two sister characters, of which the whole saga is based on, basically go to Broadway in in the actual story. So that's a bold new take on a classic. I agree. <laughs> Are they not jumping around timelines too? Yeah. It starts like it seems out like we're in like the 1930s and 1940s at one point. It starts out like Halle Bailey and the and the younger sister, and then it winds up with uh, Fantasia Barino and Taraji P Henson as the older versions of the characters. Yeah. So they're going. I'm, grow I'm up like and, you again. This was not what I was expecting for the, for uh, for this trailer, but it's a Christmas release. I think maybe the safer play for me from now on with the 100 accurate is just not to predict musicals. There's just too big of a too big too volatile. I mean, well, think here's about the cats thing. back in the day. We heard the voice talent, but I didn't like I didn't have the the catchy songs come through on this trailer necessarily. And I'm sure they're there, right? I mean, this thing again, played for 20 years on Broadway. Well, whatever that song is, I mean, if that's an original song Fantasia's singing, that's an automatic nomination at least Probably. in Probably. the in the trailer for this. Anyway, producers Oprah Spielberg, Quincy Jones, obviously got a ton of talent. On, on on the screen there, her is going to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Good lord, we, we, musical talent, uh, acting talent. Coleman yeah, Domingo sound awesome. Coleman that's Domingo sure. is going to be the big bad. Mm-hmm. That's that's intense. So it's uh, it, it's a movie that that should factor into the conversation at the end of the year with a with a floor. I would say that, and that was another reason why I kind of picked it. I've been predicting all of these risky plays don't worry darling etc of recent years and yeah i went i went safer this year i think and i think the color purple is still safe and now it makes a lot more sense that this is going to be an uplifting musical for the christmas film going audience too so that Mm. that that fits now for certain uh michael we -hmm. have this make the case segment that I'm going to do, and then we have whatever whatever <laughs> kind of segment you're going to do. Yours is more of a what we're watching, I'm guessing. but Yeah, it's just the diary of a madman, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll bite off the big one first here. Phrasing. The, the Little Mermaid, okay? The Little Mermaid, I went on uh, Thursday night. I got to say, I had a great time. I am a big fan of the original movie. It was nominated for multiple Oscars. If this 2023 remake, live action remake, was original, mm-hmm. nobody would dislike it. Nobody. It, it, it is clearly one of the better movie going experiences I've had in a while because they essentially just, you know, ran it back with all the same great story beats, with all the same great music, with 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 all these great characters. All of that stuff is still great from the 1990 original. So when you have a tight remake, it makes sense. It's still good. I haven't rewatched The Little Mermaid maybe in a couple years. I think we rewatched it for our best original song episode. Yeah, I think one of them. Four or five years ago, Michael. But I, I haven't rewatched it since. And look, when you add Halle Bailey and Jonah Howard King, good God, do they have pipes. He's got like Josh Groban pipes. And she's belting it. I have never seen an audience so just clap happy in my <laughs> local theater. 
they were clapping for her first song. They were clapping for his first song. Yeah, I went on opening night, but this was one of the rowdier crowds I've been to. We were in the wow. big BTX mic. That was really cool for my local AMC. And then I like there's 40 minutes in the middle of this that are just like blissfully happy where you're getting all the same great songs, even though I would say the animal songs are less than the cartoon because you can't anthropomorphize all of the the crabs and the fish as well. Disney live action remakes still got the problem with, you know, animating the the animals when the animals sure. look like animals. It's it's hard for them to emote. Right. So Dobby Diggs is doing a lot of the heavy lifting there with his voice inflections, and he's 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 doing a marvelous job. And by the end, like Sebastian the crab, way much more charisma and personality than any of the characters from The Lion King, in my opinion. But where this movie really shines, in my in my estimation is with how they elevate all the human stuff like the Halle Bailey Jonah Howard King the Ariel uh, Eric romance worked so much better when you actually have these great actors portraying it and kiss the girl was a lot uh, more meaningful and emotional and I was going to question that the change to the song and the new songs did they fit did they work yeah I thought so again I don't remember I'm not such an apologist for the original that I you know, I'm, I'm clinging to well, it. Well, Kiss but... the Girl was uh, date rape. <laughs> so oh, <God>. <laughs> was this song about that? <laughs> what? It would, it kiss, they had to change the, from the original Kiss the Girl because the uh, some of the lyrics were in the 1990 animated film. Oh. Where, um, like, just, just do it. Force yourself on her. Kiss her. <laughs> yeah, maybe they should have uh, changed right. those. Oh, well, that's a good to know because I got a niece coming up now. Maybe not show right. her the original. right. <laughs> Maybe. Interesting. All right, so that's important. Maybe show her the remake then. Good Good to know. Mm. Otherwise, like, look, th- th- did it need to be as long as it was? Maybe not. Did it need to have such a fast-moving ending? They basically shot for shot remade the ending of 1990's Little Mermaid, so I thought that was a little clunky. But whatever, man, the highs are so high. This is a B-plus all day. You go no through issues. all that and you haven't mentioned Melissa McCarthy at all. She's great. She's great. Yeah. Ursula is is funny. I mean, there are some jokes that fall flat throughout this mm-hmm. movie. Like Aquafina has a low batting average, unfortunately. Okay. Melissa McCarthy goes for some shtick that didn't work on me, and I was like, ah. But I, I'm still pretty happy with this. I I was surprised I liked it so much, and uh, I'm a little I'm a little worried about myself that maybe I am. Like the masses. I want these Disney live-action remakes, too, because that's <laughs> Aladdin and Little Mermaid. I should have mentioned this more often. I really loved Aladdin as a remake, okay. and I didn't like any of the others. <laughs> so now I like two, though. What does that mean? I can't be in the cool kids' uh, table with David Ehrlich, Owen Gleiberman, and yourself. <laughs> Right, I'm. I mean, I'm ostracized I mean, from that table now. No, no, I mean, if you enjoyed it, that's that's what matters most about going. And you're not you're not in the minority there. A lot of people. I mean, these things are making billions upon billions of dollars. That's why they keep making them. I've been to the movies three days in a row. It's been packed, and they're all Good. seeing The Little Mermaid. So that's my first review. All right, I'm bracing for it. I brace for it. I need you to review a movie here, Mike. Okay, let's see. What do you got? <laughs> I'll start with uh, what do I have? I have three. I have three 2023 movies okay. uh, to start. I started with uh, oddly enough another Aquafina one. I, I watched Renfield. Um, you did. Renfield. Oh yeah. no! Uh, f- 
funny kills, tons of blood. Uh, Nick Holt and Aquafina are their charming selves. Nick Cage is as over the top as you want him to be. Ben Schwartz was probably the highlight for me, but I, hmm. I'm a sucker for Ben Schwartz. Uh, it's cool to see him be a bad guy and just see him riff in Nick Cage's face when he's like facing utter terror and fear, <laughs> and Dracula's got him by the neck. It's it's really funny stuff. Um, not worth the twenty bucks. Uh, it's cool VFX. Not worth the twenty bucks. It's the same director as the Lego Batman movie, Chris McKay, which hmm. was an undisputably top ten film of 2017. You'll remember. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's a fun time. I, I think it would have played better on the bigger screen. Good VFX, like I said, meh. It's like a C plus for me. C plus meh. Now, if you went to see it for free on a Tuesday night because you had A list, what would you rank it then? <laughs> see, that's the thing. I probably would have been upset that I had to leave my home to go yeah, see it. You, you, okay. You know, I mean, as backwards as that thinking is, I'm less upset about losing the twenty dollars on something like that. It was fine. It was a fine thing to have on. Good. I think. No. Yeah, I don't know. it's just, I don't know that I would go out of my way to, if I could have gotten it for eight bucks, I would have rather done that. Eight bucks. So yeah. that's what it's worth. That's right. sweet well, spot. Well, yeah. yeah. we're establishing a lot here, despite <laughs> my shameless digs at you for this, which is never going to work. I've, I've given up trying to get you to get a list <laughs> at this point, because you just, you're dug in so deep mm-hmm. that I'm just going to mm-hmm. openly just hate you for it now. <laughs> good, good. The Machine, Burt Kreischer. Are you a Burt Kreischer fan? <sighs> I know your brother is. I yeah. uh, I, I like Burt Kreischer. I don't I, in small doses. I don't think I could do a lot of him. I think I seen like a stand. I'm not very familiar. I think I seen one stand up. I was like, why isn't he wearing a shirt? Yeah, that's that's the experience. <laughs> anyway, uh, I did have five or six good laughs in this movie. Like the good stuff, the belly laughs. Not expecting where it was going because it's so corny. The rest of it, yeah. and. You know, when he gets you, it's really uh, like it's almost like the after joke gets you. So I appreciate that. I really do. So I cannot hate on the machine. I'm going to give it a C minus. But the machine spends so much time trying to get the drama right, trying to get the action right, trying to be one of these, you know, comedies that winds up being like the sweet film about the good dad and the family man. And I'm like, what are we doing? doing it's all so botched that i can't stand it it's just like don't so is it not just one giant flashback or they like cut back and forth the flashback yeah they cut back and forth the flashback stuff is not oh. that funny it's just not and i'm not i'm not laughing at that i despised mark hamill in this oh which no is very hard to do he is the yeah. most annoying character uh, you can ever meet if not for the action star Iva Babich, Babich, yeah. uh, she is super talented. She's flying around uh, all these stunts. I, if, if, if it's not her, it sure looked like it. She's either got the best stunt person, uh, stunt double going, or she is just a tremendous athlete herself. So she was very charismatic. But, like, I wanted to fight Burt Kreischer by the end of this annoying movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, like, it doesn't – again, you make me laugh six times heartily uh, i respect you but i prefer like a barb and star austin powers billy madison just you want to go give full me the, farce just go full just onslaught of jokes yeah when you're this kind of a comedian yeah. don't try and be don't try and be like the action i don't want guy you to be a human person i don't want, I want him you to be, to be a, a caricature i want you to be a clown yeah. and dance for my amusement all right 
I get that. I'm a bad person. It's demanding, but I get it. <laughs> Let me handle the second movie in a row here. Blackberry. Yeah. This is Glenn Howerton of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I, I try do to get still my, want to see this badly. I try to get my brother off my back now because I know he's a Burt Kreischer fan. All right, Glenn Howerton, <laughs> Dennis from Sunny. Like, Blackberry is a lo-fi social network type of a storyline here. It's basically chronicling the launch and the life of the Blackberry smartphone. Like, Glenn Howerton plays the best angry office guy since Ari Gold. He's really He's fantastic. getting a lot of love on TikTok lately for his line delivery throughout Sunny. And it's like it's it's really really good. Like you, you, it makes you laugh obviously in the moment when you're watching any episode of Sunny. But to like realize that this is a man that's purposely doing these things as an actor, it's like we're the same age. And <laughs> I love I shit. love that he goes full Dennis. Yeah. in parts of this movie too. I so, saw, I saw the scene where he's in the uh, in the uh, what do you call that the payphone booth yelling good. at uh, Jay Baruchel. That's one of them. And then there's another big boardroom scene where he's going off, and I loved it. Jay Baruchel's character wasn't developed enough. And okay. I, I, I'm a little aggravated by that because then you try to get this whole kind of catharsis through him towards the end of the film. I love the uh, I love the uh, the way we leave his character, but the, I just didn't buy that. All, all the criticisms, though, don't take away from the movie to me like this works this works as a you know a montage movie because we move fast through history it works with all the night you know 90s 2000s musics here well uh, we it works as you know reliving the history of the whole smartphone uh launch really with the mm. iphone stuff i mean i remember living through that I, i'm sure you do too and this movie's a very strong grade for me b plus 88 colby mack thanks to him kind of pushed me into seeing this i i, I wish we recorded last week we would have probably reviewed we would have taken more time to review it i think because yeah it's that good so blackberry a very very strong film one of my top 10 of the year so far i will get to that when i'm able to pay 20 dollars for it i mm-hmm. promise you um another one i did pay 20 bucks for <laughs> here's the thing michael i did pay like 30 something to see it actually because i had to go to oh, new haven I went oh. to new haven i couldn't find a parking spot so i ended up spending yeah. like 12 dollars for parking yeah. i got in there why am i hungry i'm hungry gosh darn it i got a popcorn and soda and then i bought the ticket so it's like 30 yeah. something bucks it wasn't yeah. an a-list was it worth 30 bucks mm. yeah i went home happy i was not okay. i was not That's- upset yeah Evil Dead Rise was worth the 20 bucks too. Oh, good. I'm, I'm fine with that, yeah. Uh, look, I watch a lot of these movies uh, when I know they're not going to be Oscar contenders of the year. I'll put them on in the background of, like, you know, either researching for an episode or writing or if I'm doing, like, some Twitter scrolling, YouTube or whatever. If it gets to a point where I can't take my eyes off the screen, it's an automatic B- minus at worst. Okay, good. I, I promise any horror fan. You mm. will not be able to take your eyes off the third act of this movie. You've yeah. seen it already. You reviewed it on this on this uh, on our podcast as well. But like, you know what I'm talking about? It the, just visually ridiculously stunning for a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely stuck the landing. I was so happy yeah. with the third act. I mean, the, the movie aggravated me a little bit in in sure. the beginning. I would yep. say, but. It's, I mean, it's very end. cookie cutter in the beginning. I mean, to right. get to where you know, it's it's The Exorcist. You know, it's whatever you want to compare it to, that type of movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it it find it finds its uh, feet, finds its footing, I should say, because that's an English phrase. Well, it's an eighty four B for me. More gross or less gross than you you thought? I'll tell you what, a lot less gross than the next movie that you hated and I really really liked. <laughs> Sisu. Yeah, Sisu was rough. 
in terms of uh, I maybe that's why I didn't movie. like it. You just it was, didn't like it, huh? It was yucky. I went to see it. It was yucky. It's very yucky. It's like, And that's one of the only thing I have paragraphs written for these. The only thing I have written for Sisu is 88B plus in all caps, so much more gnarly than Evil Dead Rise. And there's maybe 17 or 18 words of dialogue in the first three quarters of it. <laughs> right. Uh, look, I'm in the minority on this one. Most people liked it. So you're in the majority. I just, I, for whatever, I might have been in a bad headspace. I didn't like that we, I wanted, I want killing Nazis. I wanted Inglorious Bastards, I think. I wanted something like that. And I didn't get that movie, right? I did, we didn't kill Nazis but for you two do. hours. Yeah, but I mean, but you it's do like get in, like. One big wave, like I'm so it's mad. It's in at the that. chapter of the movie titled "Kill 'Em All." <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm just I. I didn't want a chapter. I wanted a whole movie. Of it. All right, all right. Like, I get uh, it. It my, didn't. It didn't satisfy your bloodlust. Correct. I wanted them to die spectacularly and draw it out. Stretch that rubber band. Right. Instead, we're stretching other rubber bands. Anyway, of suspense, which I you watching at home, you you were engaged though. I couldn't, I watched the entire thing. Didn't do anything for the, I mean, it starts with such a bang and the kills are so, <laughs> there's a minefield scene very early on that lets you really know what happens if you step on a powerful enough mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it, I was a sucker for it. I'm in. Yeah, that was that was a sight to behold. I'll agree with that. <laughs> yeah, maybe I was just in a weird spot. So I'll have to give Sisu another look at some point. But uh, glad to hear you enjoyed it. And a lot of people have had that as a as one of their favorites on the year. So that's cool. It's just a fun one. You know, you know who was bragging about it on social media that got me into it and why I hit play was um, Taron, uh, uh, Taron Killian. Is that his name? The former SNL guy? Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul F. Tompkins, they both posed. I, they had to have been paid by the studio because they both had very like curiously marketing slanted type <laughs> verbiage in their posts. But they were like, they didn't say it was an ad. So I was like, oh, let me check it out and see if I like it. And I really liked it. So you, if you scroll down in their Twitter history, can you find their Andrea Rise? It was like, campaign? yeah, it was like back to back too on my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> well, still, you, it worked it out worked. in this instance yep, for you. So Sisu was a big, big hit for Mike One. All right, I've just came from the theater for Hit and Record today. Oh, you saw this today from You Hurt My Feelings. This is Julia Louis Dreyfus, Tobias Menzies. This is uh, Nicole Hall of Center writing and directing. Michael, this is an oh hello New York movie if there ever was one. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> a pleasant dramedy. The the definition of a pleasant uh <laughs> making a big to do about little problems kind of a movie. Worth a half dozen hearty chuckles. Worth it to watch how emotionally expressive Julia Louis Dreyfus is. Just a delightful cast, as I mentioned. Uh, Michaela Watkins plays Dreyfus's sister, so I just I really enjoyed, you know, an hour and twenty minutes of just living in New York, like wondering what if this was my life, just being this white. The road and not traveled. By the you. road not traveled. I yeah. could live. Th this could have been my life. I right. went to college in New York. I could have grown up there. I could have stayed there. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't. And I don't know. I could have. I wondered. Yeah, I wondered a lot of things just sitting there. But I mean, I enjoyed it fine. C plus. I think TV is kind of cornering the market for these types of stories nowadays. Shrinking is a a very clear example of a one to one. Where the Tobias Menzies characters, you know, compare him to the Harrison Ford and Jason Segel characters, 
there's a lot more going on that I relate to okay. and shrinking on Apple TV Plus that right. I may with you hurt my feelings. But still, pleasant, fine golf clap. If you're going to have a golf clap and a pleasant fine, like, make it 83 minutes, right? Yeah. So Don't I make know, it Dune. <laughs> no big issues there. <laughs> you got another one here, Mike? Yeah, all right. So this is where we go off the rails a bit. And you know about this one, and then I have two others uh, to finish up with. Um, I watched The Treasure of the Sierra Madre from 1948. <laughs> Good. Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Danny Houston was asked by Letterboxd on TikTok for his five favorite films. And uh, this was the first one he listed because it was directed by his father, the legendary John Houston. It was nominated for Best Picture in 1949. It fell short, uh, but John won both director and screenplay that year for it. Mm -hmm. And Danny, uh, John's father, Danny's grandfather, Walter Houston, won supporting actor for it as well. So that in and of itself intrigued me because you have a movie that wins director, screenplay, and an acting category, but doesn't win Best Picture. All the while, it's headlined by like the movie star of the time, like you said, in Humphrey Bogart. So I the City Slickers reference did the City Slickers reference give you you know more reason to watch it as well with (laughs) Billy Crystal going you know doing the dance and I found a pot of gold. (laughs) I didn't know this was the We Don't Need No Stinking Badges movie either. By the way, so that that took that was a fun little surprise for me to find um you know it was okay <laughs> <laughs> what a setup yeah for it I was know. okay i know i wanted to like it more it's like a 79 80 c plus b minus ledge for me but it does it does bring up an interesting point that i, I have to do more research into because it is not a happy movie no and it wins all those accolades at the oscars but it falls short to like hamlet i think it was for best picture that year well, I wonder how why. long this has been going on where, like, these not these movies that are not happy, like, has this been a thing that's always happened with the Academy? They're going to prefer, for best picture, the happy movie, even back in the 40s? Well, is Hamlet that happy? Right. I, well, I mean, that's, but, that's, that's the counterpoint, but it's at least a Shakespearean play. Hamlet's like, all right, I guess if we're going to give the vegetables movie the win. Right, exactly. We're going to go something with that's been around for five s- centuries. Safe pick, yeah. <laughs> but you got to... You gotta really have other movies that kind of fall short to give that Hamlet a win. Anyway, I I remember watching that Hamlet, not being a huge fan. You are crazy about it, yeah. All right, so, uh, but I'm... the the treasure of the Sierra Madre is like legendarily bi- bi- bittersweet. Yeah, yeah, I would say uh, that's an accurate description of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, <laughs> you had me go. <laughs> it was okay. It was, that's what I had. It was. It was. It was fine. All right. I watched the mother with Jennifer Lopez, which is the same story that we're talking about. Is this, this is the flowing, revenge one from Netflix? Flowing beautifully. Yeah. Look at. I, I enjoyed J Lo throwing herself into this role. She actually learns jujitsu. She's pulling off all of these crazy hand to hand fights in this movie. You could tell that she's a great athlete. I mean, we knew that going in. And when you have great athleticism, you're able to go like with wider shots more often. You're able to blend all of the stunt work. I'm sure she had stunt doubles helping her out, but you're able to blend that and you get these full speed action sequences that, I mean, if you're in the wrestling ring, I think they call it bumps, right? You're getting good Mm -hmm. bumps. And bottom line, the fight scenes in the mother were all really strong and really well filmed. Sisu, Polite Good. Society, Fast X. I've had the same criticisms for all of them. And I think they've they've gone too much editing. They've gone too many tight shots. And I think there's a lot of restrictions based on the cast and crew there. 
And here you have Jennifer Lopez taking away those restrictions and giving you a lot more freedom in how you can film action scenes. I, look, it's, it's a sappy, melodramatic movie about the long lost mother, you know, taking care of her daughter. And she's on the, you know, she's a fugitive of everybody. And she's like, you know, public enemy number one. And of course, she's got to protect her daughter from afar. And then she gets to meet her daughter. I mean, all of this stuff is big, sappy plot devices. But I. Again, I thought it worked, and it's action movies don't need great plots, do they? To me, to you, no. I, I mean, was as long as as long as they have the goods, right? And it sounds like this one does. I, I was a big fan of the mother. Uh, I think it's being a but little is it a, is underestimated. It, is it a kidnapping story? Is it a an abusive husband story? What's like the what's the mother up against here? Yeah, the baby daddies, sort of. I forget. Okay. No, I forget anyway. But they're like hitmen or whatever assassins and. Yeah, they they want to find the daughter and right. Gotcha. It's, okay. It's, it's pretty intense. It's it's an intense storyline and and uh, uh, J Lo's awesome. She she's got to pick a series of great scripts in a row. I think I, I just I'm rooting for her to do that because then she's gonna start banging on the door movie after movie with the with the Oscars. Yeah, I'm, we're I'm getting we're getting near the point where she's gonna be like, look, well, you you guys are nominating me. <laughs> Right. Like you had your choice to do it on your own and now I'm going to force your hand. Anyway, I can kind of review this next trio together. I watched three documentaries, but you have two left. Yes, I I have my last two and they are tied together somewhat as well. So I I can go. All right. Uh, So from 1948, uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, we go a couple years later. I watched On the Waterfront from 1954. Oh, nice. Um, It's number 185 on IMDb's top 250, 12 12 time Oscar nominated film, eight time winner, including screenplay for Bud Schulberg, director Ilya Kazan, supporting actress Eva Marie Saint, uh, actor for Brando, and it won Best Picture as well. And this was the year that. uh, Hitchcock's Rear Window uh, was also made, just to kind of put you in a frame of reference there. This was Brando's fourth straight lead actor nomination. I think it was his first win, so ironically, that meant he was a contender. Um, (laughs) Bad joke. I was shocked at how relevant both this and the next movie were, because the next movie I watched was another Ilya Kazan. I just kept going down the rabbit hole there. I watched East of Eden from 1955. Oh, wow. I liked uh, Waterfront more East of Eden, obviously, the James Dean movie, his big breakout role. Um, I was shocked how, I mean, On the Waterfront deals with uh, union mob corruption. And basically that storyline of, like, the big guys holding the little guys down. And in other words, it's a movie that will never be shown on Amazon premises, you know, until the end of time. But, like, it has that story to it, and there's nothing, very few things more relevant in today's day and age. East of Eden... It's from a Stein, John Steinbeck novel. It's a biblical story. It's it's Cain and Abel, essentially. And I was surprised at how prevalent and, and prescient that story was, too. So they were like, those are two solid Bs for me. Uh, I, I, liked, I just enjoyed On the Waterfront more. But I think they're very timely and things that people should, like, go back and watch or go see for the first time if they were like me and never have and have just, like, heard about them all their lives because they really, really hold up, each of them. I'm so impressed. You, you you lowballed yourself here. Uh, oh, did I? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, so how? What do you think was the better performance uh, in in the two movies? Okay, or in the three um, movies. You, like, give me a best actor and a best supporting actor award out of those three films. It's just got to be almost impossible to do. Does well, Brando or Bogart or? But, but I would I would say Brando one, Bogart two, and this is totally just my pref my you know call but like 
You remember the movie? What was the movie last year with um, what's her name there? Don Johnson's daughter, Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, she was in a couple last year, Mike. She was in uh... Cha Cha Real Smooth. Yes. Remember how the lead of that I couldn't stand. <laughs> yes. Because he's a little whiny. Okay, so James Dean was James a Dean plays the plays he's the lead a little, and that, I mean, look, it's the crux of his character. The whole the whole backdrop of his character, his character's entire arc, has to do with the emotional stunting from his father and right. needing his father. So, like, he has to be. But like, I was like, God damn it, man, pull yourself together. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, yeah. Scott Feinberg's not going to be happy with you for saying that. But <laughs> I know, I know, and it's sacrilege. Is. It's total sacrilege on my part. And how dare you put me in the situation where I have to rank these three all-time performances? But that's what I would do. I, I I like Brando most, but Brando's also playing the you know Joe Everyman here. Good. Wow, I'm I'm impressed. Like you went for the classics here. Yeah. That's that's terrific. Uh, I I'm just gonna review a couple documentaries to go out. I watched It Ain't Over. This is about uh, Yankee great Yogi Berra. Oh, catcher. you saw that? Good. Sony Pictures Classics. Like this this is a movie. If we ever bought our dads a, a movie, mm-hmm. uh, this would be one of those that uh, we're that we're all huge Yankee fans. And this is like a recontextualizing of Yogi Berra's life by his family that's told from their perspective they're very upset about their father's characterization over the years because he came became such a tv personality because he had all the quotes all the yogiisms you know it ain't over till it's over a lot of if you come to a fork in a road take it you mm. know all of those sayings that are so true and yet you know so goofy in a, in a way but he's such a brilliant guy throughout his career and he was a great player and a lot of history has glossed over that, so they want to wanted to set the record straight, and I do think they did. This was a B all day. It ain't over. Uh, Sony Pictures Classics will eventually probably put that on Netflix, is my guess. Hmm. Uh, we yeah, do have time, uh, ten World Series rings, I think he has. Exactly. I mean, he was the Bill Russell of his day, Mike. Yeah. So we have it ain't over. Very good. B eighty six all day. We have still a Michael J. Fox movie. This was a, a tribute to the great actor of Back to the Future and Spin City and a lot of our favorite things, Michael. He, it shows his life as a movie star. It shows the, his autobiographical struggles with Parkinson's disease. And Mike, I was surprised by how many flaws they showed in his character, not just in his... Oh, really? Uh, yeah, he, he, he was an alcoholic for a long time. Yeah. He, he, he was very forthcoming about a lot of his struggles. And... Kudos to him for showing himself as a rounded character. This is his autobiography, essentially. This could have been such a puff piece. And this is him being very honest with us. And I I was really thrilled. And and it's just a fast-moving doc, really easy watch. Still a Michael J. Fox movie, another B all day. And finally, I watched Heavy Subject Matter, but really rewarding. Victim Suspect. This is a sequence of truth bombs involving how incompetent and sexist the criminal justice system can be when investigating sexual assault cases. It's seen through the eyes of these investigative journalists, one in particular who's trying to get to the bottom of these false reporting cases that she believes are not false reported Mm. rape cases and where these victims slash suspects are being bullied into false confessions or bullied into a lot of different things and i I, she's right on the money and just the how biased and corrupt the legal system and the justice system can be at times i mean it's not 
an easy sit necessarily on the emotional end of the spectrum, but it, it it's also not without hope. So there's a lot no, of good work being good, done at here. Least. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's few things. Look, having seen the, the justice system from the inside and just a small part of the way that I have in my career, I mean, there are a lot of reasons to be infuriated about it, and that is certainly one of the biggest ones. I tell you what, though, a lot of things you've said to me over the years, a lot of things we've said on this show, they're literally talking heads in this movie saying those same things. Yeah. yeah and I appreciated that quite I mean, a bit. We need, yeah, it, you know, all you can hope is that enough voices are heard about this type of things and they keep getting amplified and amplified. Yep. Ugh, God, that's on Netflix, right? Netflix. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out and just punch something afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. That was a nice 15 title rundown for us. We hit a hit a bunch of uh, everything. You you covered all of 2023 in the last few weeks, both are in theaters and on the streaming services. And I went back in time and fought in World War Two. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed with that. Uh, make the case what we're watching section. That was yeah. that was a that was a big one for us. We needed we needed that. Our next one is probably going to feature a lot of succession for me because I just started season three. I got through the first three episodes and I got a. I want to run through and finish off season four. I know the uh, the finale is, what, tomorrow, right? Yeah, I'm way behind. I just finished episode one of season four. I loved it. I'm going to have to keep going with that. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, and uh, going to have to do it as well. I don't. You might surpass me. Who knows how many friggin' movies I watch. You do. You do. You see everything. <laughs> Literally everything. And there's a lot of stuff to see coming up, too, that we've talked about and previewed and are excited about past lives across the Spider-Verse. Those are definitely things that we're going to be keeping our eye on. We might devote full uh, film breakdowns to those. I, past lives, we definitely will, right? At least. We definitely will dive into past lives. I don't know when that's coming to our local theaters, though. Across mm. the Spider-Verse might be next, I'm, I'm thinking. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to make a decision, I've Michael, heard people but... say it's one of the best animated films they've ever seen. Oh, that's so that's yeah. so good. I can't yeah. wait. Uh, the the yeah. first one was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. that's what I'm going to do next. I'm going to rewatch the first one. Now, that's not a bad idea. Maybe that's is something we should do. That's not a bad idea. Um, I'll watch the 1942 version. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what's on the horizon from us. As always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about this episode or anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, dot com, and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcast or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five star review those help us out immensely thank you to everyone who has done so thus far uh mike we've just talked about what's coming next let's have some words of wisdom to end on well nine people yeah nine people in france said anatomy of a fall is is worth a palm one of them was brie larson so that must have that on good authority the new favorite for best picture we know this so anatomy of Fall. listen when when uh i meant to say this but when barbie's trailer dropped it's best picture odds came out and it was like 14 to 1. Oh, good. Yeah. You know. So. <laughs> hey, wouldn't that be... That would break film Twitter, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would just break film Twitter in half. And, and we would love it. That would, that would be yeah, fantastic. Good God. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be the ultimate... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be all for it. Why not? Give it to Barbie. Who cares? I hope it's great. I really do. <laughs> Me too. I'm so much more encouraged after this trailer than the first one. The first one was just bizarre. I didn't get it. Well, the story is still bizarre. I would, you know, like yeah, but uh, like, give me a bizarre story. That's great. All right. All right. I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Do you want like a real live action Barbie? That's just. 
Look, I thought it was going to be like like girl power and body positivity all within the Barbie world. And I imagine those themes are still going to be hit. I just don't know how you cross that bridge into the real world with them. But maybe Barbie's just going to be a nonstop force of positivity and making it a fish out of water, fish out of water story. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm in for that, though. Anyway, hey, here's the good here's the good news. It's also wise to just not listen to Bigfoot podcasts (laughs) and watch Bigfoot documentaries. We're, We're recording again. I haven't touched the stuff. Good. Since last week. (laughs) So that's where I'm at. (laughs) I'm trying to cut back. I have. I've cut back. You know, here's the. I'll I'll give you the truth. Max just launched, and they have all the Bigfoot shows. I watched like five minutes of the Alaskan Killer Bigfoot series. I'm like, I can't do this shit. There's a whole world out there. <laughs> they, yeah, I added them all to my queue. I was I was gonna go down those rabbit holes, and I'm like, nope, can't do it. Well, there you go, <laughs> guys. When reality, or I guess your big fit hunting skills suck, you can come watch wrap up cans and watch what's in theaters with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.